Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a couple parables. Um, uh, next week, it's probably one of the more complex parables. It has layers to it, and we're only going to have time to look at one layer, but I think we're going to get some great stuff out of it. This week, we're going to look at a couple parables, but they're short. One's one sentence long, one's two sentences long, and uh, they're made to make one point. They were made to shock you, and they won't shock us because we weren't from that culture, but it will help you understand why they would be shocking. And I think we're going to see the value um, in what Jesus is trying to get at here. The reason I even want to talk about um, these two parables today um, is because I've been, I've been watching our culture for the last, I, I would say maybe as many as 10, 5 to 10 years. And there is becoming um, a, a pretty consistent conversation that's happening around this simple idea. Is there still any value at all with believing in God? Is there any value in a faith community? Is there any value in anything religious at all? And, uh, and I'm watching this kind of unfold in our culture, and I think maybe one of the reasons um, it's, it's elevated to this level is there's been a really vocal group of people who've written books, who are hosting college campus debates, who are doing all kinds of stuff to get the word out that they think they have the answer to this question. There's a really, it's a small group of really vocal atheists who have concluded there is no value in believing in God. There's no value in a faith community. There's, there's no value in anything religious at all. In fact, only dumb, uneducated people would believe something like that, and they present this case. The thing is, despite all of this effort that they've got, they've raised the questions, and it's caused all kinds of conversations, but they're not convincing tons of people to become atheists. The atheists in our country are still a fraction, a very small percentage of our, our population, and that's because there's a major problem. Something has to be eternal. Something had to be here first. All the stuff that you see, everything that you look around and touch and feel and look at, something had to be before that. I can't find very many people who believe that something came from nothing. Something had to be out there. And so the atheists have used this answer. They said, yeah, we know we have to answer the question of eternity. Like something has to be eternal. So we think it was the universe. And I, I got a great picture of that. It's beautiful. Right? And they said, this thing is what's eternal. It's always been here. It will always be here. If you believe a God could be here beforehand, then we believe this could be here beforehand. It's the universe. Small problems, right? Um, their scientific research, their group of people would say there was a beginning point to this. So what came before the beginning point to this? I don't know. Uh, they start scrambling. They've come up with all kinds of interesting things. Have you guys heard of the Big Crunch? No, so this is the thing that follows the Big Bang. The Big Bang happens. The universe goes out and expands. At some point, it stops. It comes back in, crunches, and does it all over. And it's just going on forever. It's just eternal. This is the consistent thing. Small problem, right? The universe is currently expanding at a rate, and it's increasing the expansion at a rate that eventually all the heat energy in the universe will just go out. And it will be no more. 
And they don't know how to solve this problem. And yet they're still holding on to the idea that the universe has to be eternal. Well, if it's not that, and if it's not God, then what is it? What's eternal? So a lot of people have concluded, well, it must be a God. So they raised this question, is, is there any value? And people said, yeah, I think there's value. There must be a God. But a whole group of people have concluded that it doesn't matter what God. They're all the same. All religions are the same. And honestly, shockingly, there are a lot of followers of Jesus who now say that kind of thing. I'll have a conversation with them. And in their minds... All of this is the same. It really doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. They're all just the same. And it, that kind of thinking is leading a whole group of people to change their mind about some stuff. And there's a group that's swelling right now in our country, and they're making this conclusion. They're looking around and going, I'm not really sure which God I should pay attention to, so I'm just going to choose to be spiritual. I'm going to acknowledge that something has to be worshipped. Something's bigger than me. I just don't know what it is. Or maybe it's every, everything. And I'm just going to embrace it all. And I'll just be spiritual. And a whole bunch of people are now starting to swell into this I'm just spiritual group. And the problem is they don't see any value in, well, really, God, because when you are spiritual, you can worship anything, and people are. They're worshiping anything and everything. There's no value in a spiritual community. Why do I need to be a part of that? I'm, I'm kind of making this up as my go. This is my individual thing that I choose to worship, that I choose to believe, that I choose to do. But I'm spiritual, so it's okay. And they have this kind of weird thing where, um, they're just going to go out on their own. And it's given birth, uh, I know you've heard this, it's given birth to this idea that people are going around and saying, listen, I just can't stand organized religion. And, and honestly, at some part of that, I get it. Because the stuff that happens um, with people like me in leadership, like I mess up sometimes. And so do others in my position. And so it causes ripple effects through your community that are tragic and ugly, and it's, it's difficult to watch. And so you look at that, and you're like, I don't want any part of that. But here's the problem. Any community, I don't care what it is, a family, a society, a, a town that you live in, is constructed around shared values and some central beliefs that you all latch on to. And without that, you can't be a community. And so what people are saying when they say we don't want any kind of organized religion, they're in essence saying I want to be able to have my own thing. I want to do my own thing. I want to have my individual way of looking at this stuff. And it's causing all kinds of ramifications. People are separating and going off and doing their own thing, believing that it's the best thing that they could possibly do. And what I want to address this morning is a section of scripture where Jesus talked about something that he deeply cared about. He told a lot of parables about this subject. He called it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It was this thing that he was coming down to earth 
He was going to sacrifice his life for mankind, but he wanted to leave something, a movement in place that would impact the world around everybody. And so he was constantly trying to find ways to give people an idea, a picture of what this was. And that's what I want to take you to. I want to take you to John, or to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to look at um, the first sentence in this uh, parable. This is the full parable for the first part of it. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. <sighs> the kingdom of heaven is like a guy randomly digging around in a field, finds something of value, sells it all to buy the field. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think that may be one of the oddest parables I've ever read in my life. I grew up on a farm. I dug a lot of holes. I dug a lot of um, holes with um, post hole diggers. And not once in my life when I was digging a hole did I think, maybe it's going to be my lucky day and I'm going to find a treasure, right? In fact, when they handed me that tool, I thought the opposite. This is not my lucky day. This is the worst day of my life, right? Go dig a hole. And yet, you see these, I mean, Jesus is telling this story as if this makes some sort of sense. Why? Why is he doing that? Have you... Here, this would make more sense to me. Have you guys been following this story in the last decade? This guy named Forrest, I think that's his first name. Can you put his picture up there? Forrest, I knew it. Okay. Um, eccentric millionaire who decided he wanted to give away part of his fortune in a unique way. He went out into the wilderness out west, put in gems and gold, and buried it, and then he wrote a book. He put a map inside the book, and he wrote a poem as a riddle to help you find it. And people started searching. Now, some people thought he was just doing it for marketing reasons um, and just trying to make some money. It turns out he was not. Uh, I want to show you a headline from June of this year. Go ahead and put that up. They found it. By the way... People died looking for this stuff. But that at least makes sense to me, right? I'm going to go dig in the ground for something that might actually be there rather than I'm just randomly digging and then I strike treasure and my life is good. It's too odd. Why is Jesus telling a parable that just seems so odd? If, if somebody had buried something and you knew about it and you were looking and searching, that might make sense. But this was random, why does it make sense? Well, here's the thing. This is not the only time in the scriptures somebody was randomly burying stuff in the ground. Do you remember there was another parable Jesus told of the talents? And this is what one of the guy does with his. 2518 of Matthew. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. <laughs> Why? What are people doing? Here's what history records on this stuff. Um, the nation of Israel was kind of at a crossroads where they got attacked by a lot of people. And they had concluded that putting my stuff in a bank wasn't always the safest thing to do. 
And in fact, that they heard that there was trouble, people would take, they would go out onto their land, they would dig a hole, and they would bury their stuff. And the thought was, after this invasion is over, after this is all calmed down, we could still go back and get our stuff and rebuild our lives. It'll work out just fine. But what happens if you were carried off into captivity? What happens if you were killed as part of that invasion? All of your stuff remained buried somewhere. And so there were times where you could be digging somewhere and find somebody's treasure. And this is what we're, ha- this is what we're finding here. And so this story all of a sudden starts to make a little bit of logical sense. Because some, this would be like me going to Tracy and saying, honey, we're selling everything. I'm selling the house. We're selling the cars. Your clothes and shoes, I know you like them, but they're gone, right? They're out of here. Take your ring off. I'm pawning that. All of our investments, we're selling it. Why? Because I'm going to go buy this field, and the field costs that much money. And she'd go, why? And I would whisper to her on the side treasure in that field, right? And all of a sudden, she'd go, sell it all, right? All of a sudden, it makes sense. Sell it all. It's almost like there's a bargain that you've found, that whatever's in that field is going to be so good, you're going to end up with a field that you can maybe make a homestead on, but you've got treasure there too. And this story makes some logical sense as to what's happening here. It's not the shocking part. Jesus tells a second parable, but it is attached. These two are connected. I think they would have been told together each and every time. And we see that because the second part of it starts. It's two verses long, and he says, and again, so these are connected. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, there are some similarities that we want to pay attention to, but there's also some differences. In the first verse, some guy was out there randomly digging a hole and found some treasure. In this one, somebody was seeking intentionally. They were going looking for something of purpose. And it names what his occupation is, which helps us kind of get some context for what's going on here. When you think of merchant, you probably think of somebody who has a small store. They're selling some stuff down on Main Street in Middlebury, right? That's not what a merchant was in Jesus' day. These would have better understood exporter-importer. They set up contracts with foreign people. They, they shipped stuff in. They owned all the means to get those things to you. So they had, they had ships. They had animals to have cargo hauled back and forth, and they would sell. These were t- wealthy people. And one of the things that they used as currency as a merchant that translated around all of those different countries, was pearls. It was the most important gem during Jesus' day. Hard to get a hold of. Uh, History records that a Roman general once sold one of their family pearls, and it got him enough money to finance a war. Uh, Part of the reason Rome invaded Britain was to get at the oyster bays that they could, so they could have the pearls from that. I took a picture um, of pictures of a bunch of pearls that have sold in our times. So you understand they still hold value. These were the last time these went to auction and sold. So these, these were getting tons of money, and even in our day. But in Jesus' day, 
these were, these were it. And this merchant had gone out, and he had looked for a fine one, a great one. He wanted to find something incredible, and he did. And then he did what the first guy had done. He went and sold everything. Except this is going to be a bit little different. Because this guy, he's going to sell his house. He's going to sell his land. He's going to sell his business. He's going to sell his inventory. He's going to sell any boats, any animals that he used to move stuff. He is selling everything that he has because this pearl is of such great value that the only way for him to get that is to sell everything that he has. There's no bargain. There's no bargain going on here. In order for him to get that pearl, it's worth everything that he has. Which raises a question. How do you unlock the value of this pearl that you just sold everything for? The only way you could get anything out of that is to sell it. And then you could rebuy everything that you just sold. That doesn't make sense. So what's the man's motivation? He's not getting a bargain so he can build bigger barns, bigger homes, a bigger business. What he wanted was to possess the pearl. Can you imagine how that conversation went with his family? His friends would be coming up to him and saying, wow, what did you just do? I bought this pearl, man. Isn't it exquisite? It's beautiful. Where are you going to live? I don't know. I don't know. I sold my house. But did you see my pearl? How are you going to make a living? I, I don't know. I sold my business. Well, can you start your business up again? No, I don't have any money. I don't have any inventory. It's all gone. But I have this pearl. Do you think he got warm accolades from his family? Like, what are you doing? You sold it all for this? Now, listen. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's trying to make a point. And they would have started getting a little uncomfortable because his point um, the thing that they both shared, both of these stories, was that both guys sold everything. And I want to talk about that. We have to talk about that because that's the central point. But I want to just stop for a second and look at the small difference that the two stories had. Because as I've been thinking about this, I think they kind of represent different ways that I've seen people find Jesus. Some of them seem to be going about their everyday life like digging holes. They're just living. And they randomly run into something that's true. And they find Jesus and it changes their life. And I've also watched other people who go out and they, they are looking for an answer. They are trying to logically work through what should I believe? How should I believe this? I'm, I'm gathering all this information. I'm scouring it all. And I'm seeking this. And I think this is true, at least from what I've observed. It appears to me that the people who go seeking, 
face a more difficult situation, a more difficult decision, because when they find something that they think is true, the cost of them to go after that is significant. And so I kind of noticed that in the story, that some people just kind of stumble into Jesus. They're just living their life, and Jesus finds them and changes them. And others, they're trying for it to make logical sense, and sometimes that logic gets in their way because it doesn't make sense to them. And it's got to make sense to them if it's going to make sense. But I want you to see what happened instead. Because the disciples realized that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And if you would have asked them at the end of that story, was this guy wise? Their first response would have been, no. There's no way. He has nothing left. All he has is the pearl. The only thing that could make this wise is if I know what the pearl is. What does the pearl represent? What's it all about? Because maybe if the pearl was that exquisite, maybe if the pearl was that great, this might make sense. But otherwise, it's shocking. Now, like many parables in the scriptures, there's there's no secret key that helps you understand what Jesus was saying. He said those things. He put it under people's skin so that they would think about it, wrestle with it, and come to some conclusion as to what he was talking about. There are a few parables where he says, and this is what it means. And he kind of lays it out, and it's pretty clear. This is not one of those. So if you're asking yourself, what's the pearl? What's the thing that can be found? You'd have to start diving into the scriptures to see what the scriptures would reveal is at the heart of what the kingdom of God is all about. And I think if you did that, you'd find one thing. It's a person. His name is Jesus. Who he is, what he did, the motivation of love that he did it in, changes everything. And he becomes this thing that people are either willing to sell all out for or not. So we find, we find Jesus wrestling with these guys, saying, listen, I am the pearl of great price. Why would we come to that conclusion? Well, I want you to see this. In John chapter 1, a different gospel. This is what gets written about Jesus. This is verses 2 and 3. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. What did we just describe? Someone who's eternal. He's saying, listen, If you want to understand how unique I am, I was with God at the beginning of this, and everything that you see, everything that you touch, everything that you understand, it wouldn't exist unless I was involved with it. And I'm offering you an opportunity to be connected with me. You can be connected with the eternal being who's behind all of this. I understand things you don't understand. I design things. I've got this put together. You could connect with me. 
And he becomes an answer to the question of what's eternal. I am. So he was unique. It's not just that he was unique. Listen to what he said about himself. This is same book, John chapter 14, verse, 5, verse 5, or verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to engage and connect with God? You do that through me. You want to really understand what's true, what's right, what's good? You're going to get that from me. You want light that has purpose, meaning, fulfillment? That's found with me. It's a person. He's not asking people to sell out for a religious belief. He's saying, you've got to buy into me. He's the only person who's ever said that. All these other religious beliefs have said, this is what you have to do in order to be good with God at the end of the day. Do these things, don't do these things. Have your life in order so that when you stand before God, you can be accepted. And Jesus comes to you and says, I'll accept you right now as you are, but I want you to sell everything for me. The cost is high. And the question is, is it worth it? I mean, you might be wondering, well, Blair, it seems like Christianity has these things that we're supposed to do and not do too, but it's flipped on its head. Because we're accepted by Jesus, out of our deep love for him, we choose to live our lives a different way. We choose to sacrifice for him. We choose different morals that would honor him. It's not that we do that so he'll be happy with us. He accepts us. We go to him and we sacrifice it all. That's the call here. This is why it would have been disturbing for the disciples. I kind of made a little note. See, what Jesus is talking about is not a world where I'm just a spiritual being who does what I want, who kind of creates my own thing. He's building a kingdom where he puts us together in such a way that he can hold us up to the world and say, this is the pearl that's worth it. When you're together and I've bound you together through me, this is what's worth it. And it's not going to be everything that we can agree on. It's going to be some values that we share and it's going to be Jesus at the center. And if he is at the center for all of us, then we can have all of these massive differences. We do. And we will. But what binds us, what causes us to be held up, is our passion for him. And everything else goes on the chopping block. Your beliefs do. Your definition of what's morally right or wrong. Your relationships. Your money what your view of fame is, your friends, your politics, your family, your career, your investments, your attitudes, they're all sacrificed. Why? Because he's worth it. He's the pearl at the center of this kingdom that he's building. And without it, this, honestly, what we're doing here is meaningless. We either hold on to him or we're destroyed because our differences will be too great. But if we would just accept that he was the pearl and we decided that everything else was willing to be sacrificed 
so that we could hold on to him, it would change our lives. It would change this community. It would be a light to people who looked for something of value that they could give their life to. What would happen if all of us said, it's not our church. You don't give your life to that, but we're in a community because we found this thing that's at the center of all of our lives that we care about. It's Jesus. He drives us. He's worth everything. I'd give up everything to do what he wants. Which leads me to the very hard question this morning. Is Jesus your pearl? See, I think sometimes we are in the habit of following Jesus for a while and things become a habit. And so we do things to do things. But it doesn't penetrate our heart and lives. And at some point along the path of following Jesus, we decide that we can't trust him with part of our lives. And so we withdraw that. God, I love you, but I can't trust you with my kids. God, I love you. I'm handling my investments. God, I love you, but I can't trust you with my relationships. I don't know where you're going to take this marriage. I've got to be in control. God, I love you. I can't trust you with my career. It's too important. I'm going to be in control of that. And we start to section off parts of our life. And as soon as we do that, his ability to alter who we are, everything about us changes. And it becomes a short, a short little walk to just being spiritual so that I can have the kind of personalized belief system that works for me. Instead of absolutely being in love with the creator of the universe who sacrificed for you and your all is worth it to him. And you put it all on the table. Look, the church is facing challenging times. And unless we get this right, unless we get what's central, central to us who he is, and what we're willing to sacrifice so that we will follow him no matter what, this won't mean much. Here's what I'd love for you to do. I want you to take the next week. Give God access to your life. And just ask the question, is there anything I'm holding back? Is there anything I've not been willing to sacrifice? I had to be in control of this. I can't trust you to take this where I think you might take it. And have a conversation with him. Because you followed him on purpose for a reason. And you're missing out on life, on truth, on the way that you need to live when you disconnect from giving him your everything. Can I just tell you, I think this happens to us all in about, I think, three weeks, the beginning of September. 
I'm going to tell you a story where this happened to me recently. We, we get our eyes off of the thing of value and it creates a mess. My friends, we are living in a time where what's central has to become central to us in such a driving way that it consumes our life. Is Jesus your pearl? Would you look like the crazy person who would sell it all because you just want to have that pearl? Let me pray with you. God, your disciples had to listen to that story with a little bit of shock. All the means of taking care of himself were gone for that one thing. And yet you are worth that very sacrifice. The eternal God came down to earth, died for us, offered us hope and a new life. And in response to that kind of love, you're looking for a people who will go all in. Say, so it's, it's not about all this other stuff. What's going to bind us, what's going to hold us together is our passion for Jesus. You got to think sometimes that passion gets covered up by the craziness of our lives, by the intensity of the pace that we keep. Sometimes by the choices we made to withhold things from you. And so I just ask that as we go this week, we would have an honest conversation with you about whether you're our pearl or not. Whether everything would be sacrificed for you. Do we see you as worth it? Gotta ask you would Engage in us a spirit of love and passion for you that would show up in this community and that together we could be held up as an example for others to look at. God, I desire that. I ask you would work in hearts and minds. Call your people back to you. Re-energize our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.